I like seeing people challenged and struggling and successful because of their hard work. That's stimulating to me. To see someone successful that's not really doing a whole lot for it, that's not anything I'm impressed with, really. Welcome to Trauma to Triumph, where our goal is to empower, inspire, and give you the means to stand up, take control of your life while embracing your inner badass. I am thrilled you are here and wanting to be a part of this journey. In our 20th episode, I am pumped to introduce to you my new friend, wrestling legend Lee Kemp. Lee is known as one of the greatest wrestlers in United States history. He was a three-time gold medalist in the World Championships, a four-time gold medalist in the World Cup of Wrestling, a two-time gold medalist in the Pan American Games, a seven-time national champion, and was named the United States Wrestling Federation Man of the Year in 1978. He was inducted into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame in 1989, and he was among seven wrestling legends inducted into United World Wrestling International Wrestling Hall of Fame, one of only six Americans inducted to date in a ceremony during the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games. He was inducted into the Wisconsin Athletic Hall of Fame along with past inductee greats Vince Lombardi, Hank Aaron, and Bart Starr. Today, Lee has been inducted into six Athletic and Achievement Hall of Fame. To say that Lee is an incredible athlete would be a huge understatement. What is so incredibly beautiful about Lee is his humility and realness. From accomplished athlete to successful entrepreneur to couch surfing and back to the top, he's got it all. He's an athlete, he's an author, an Olympic coach, and now trains the best of the best at Team Alpha Male. In this episode, we are going to talk about the mindset of an athlete, overcoming hurdles, and how he figured out what was important. Let's get started. Thank you, Lee, for joining us today. Oh, awesome. We love having you here. Yes, I'm excited. (laughs) So, Lee, before we even get started, one of the things that I would love to do is to have you share with this audience something crazy about you that most people don't know about. Wow. <laughs> it's a nice trigger. <laughs> yeah, you didn't rehearse that. So I have to think. Um, people don't know. Hmm. I guess I could start by saying, you know, I had all this great success in wrestling, but I didn't like wrestling when I started. I only wrestled because I got cut from the basketball team and I was very frustrated and I wanted to compete in something as a freshman in high school. And I, I just kind of wandered in the wrestling room, you know, after being cut off the basketball team my freshman year and didn't like it. I'm thinking, well, what a crazy sport. I started <laughs> late and didn't even like it. And it was like a, it's just funny how life is. Sometimes you're good at things you don't like. So I just worked at it because I saw I was good at it. And, th- and then I later began to love it. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Something crazy that most people don't know about the wrestling legend is that he didn't like wrestling when he first started. <laughs> I hated it. I hated it. It was crazy. I was getting beat up and didn't know what I was doing. And as anything that you do when you start, right? Right. So where did you grow up when you started wrestling? I was in uh, Chardon, Ohio, Chardon High School. And just to back up a little bit, I was adopted. And, um, you know, when I was five years old and my biological name, my, the name my mother gave me was Darnell, Darnell Freeman. 
Her name was Barbara. And I have a relationship with her now, but not, you know, we don't talk often, but I do know her. And this, and this is kind of brought out in my documentary. She's actually interviewed in my documentary. But, um, but then when I was adopted at age five, my parents named me Leroy after, after my dad, Leroy Percy Kemp Jr. And we, and I grew up in Cleveland in the city, not, not in the inner city, but in Cleveland. And then after sixth grade, my parents moved to Chardon, Ohio. And that's when that all started in seventh grade. Um, we were in the country. We went from the city to the country all in one summer. And we had, you know, my dad did it as a hobby, you know, I guess he worked in Cleveland still and drove the 30 miles to work every day. But um, we had cows and pigs and chickens. It was crazy to go from a city kid to being a farm kid, you know? <laughs> so, And I, actually a lot of people may not know that about me too. You know, I grew up on a farm, you know, I, I know how to farm. I, you know, we had animals and stuff like that. So I did a lot of farm work and that was probably one of the key reasons I was physically fit, I guess, you know, cause I was doing all this farm work. And still physically fit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen Lee and you go to his Instagram, you're going to be like, I want to look that swole when I'm that age. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So when you take a look at wrestling, like you decided you started with basketball, you got cut from basketball and then you journeyed through wrestling. What made you, I mean, to not even like it, to not like most kids when they have the type of career and the accomplishments that you've had in wrestling, usually start at a really young age. So freshman in high school, I would say is pretty late. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, very late. However, back in the seventies, there wasn't, the same opportunities to wrestle like there is now, like now there's clubs and and all kinds of trips that wrestlers can go on internationally. In addition to there's a tournament every weekend somewhere in the United States, it's just tournaments all over the place. So, so, but when I was young, I I guess when, when I was starting out, most wrestlers started in seventh grade. So I started in ninth grade. So I was two, two years behind most everyone else. And the wrestlers that wrestled before seventh grade, those are the ones that maybe had dads that were wrestling coaches. Uh, there, was, there really wasn't competition that I can recall before seventh grade for, for kids. It, there wasn't little kids wrestling like it is now, you know, that I can remember. So I think seventh grade was as early as you could start anyway. Yeah. So when you decided to do wrestling, you went through your high school career. When did you start to see real strides and real accomplishments with wrestling? You know, I am fortunate in that I had success right away. It just <laughs> makes people frustrated, you know, because I didn't, I didn't even know how to wrestle. But, you know, because I was strong from the farm and, uh, I had a good work ethic and I was always in great shape. You know, I worked hard in, the, in, in practice and so I had great, great stamina and I was strong. And I guess you could say I hated losing. And uh, <laughs> even when I was growing up in Cleveland, you know, I hated losing anything. And I was one of these crybabies. If I lost, I cried. I hated losing, you know, <laughs> Monopoly or Kurds or whatever. I just always wanted to win. And then when I started wrestling, I was strong. I knew I was strong. And then I, I could sense that people were getting tired and I wasn't. And so, and, and I had the ability to, um, to not make the same mistake twice. Maybe that's a skill set that people learn, you know, uh, like in learning to wrestle, if I would 
get taken down with a move, then I didn't get taken down with that move anymore. You know, I was able to block it. And uh, I just didn't make the same mistakes over and over again. So when you're just starting out through trial and error, you just, and if you remember all the errors that you make and you correct all those, you get pretty good really fast. And that's what happened with me. I got, I got, I just understood what good position was. And there's wrestlers that I train now that have been wrestling for 10 years that they don't understand that. They just keep making, you know, you see them making the same mistakes. It's the same thing in any sport. You know, I just had that in, in the ability to be able to, to just remember, I guess, and pick up on what was going on. And I just, but, but my freshman year, I started winning right away. It was only in the freshman level. Back then, we only had a conference tournament, so just in our conference, and I won that conference, and I lost two two matches the whole year. So I was like fourteen and two. Uh, I took second in the first tournament, and only because I locked hands. You know, that's a penalty. I didn't really understand that too well. Never happened again though after that. And then I ended up winning the conference. So I like kind of got me into winning. So as you journeyed through high school. And you started competing on a real high level. Did you go to college for wrestling as well? Yes. Through high school, I was able to, I won two state titles. I won a title my junior year and senior year. I was undefeated my last two years. So that got the attention of some coaches. And then from there, I got a scholarship to the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Okay. Yeah. And then you went on to go and compete in college. And then after college, how did the Olympic trials and all of that stuff come about? Because I know during the time that um, we, we talked about this before, but if you could give the audience some background history on what happens, that would be phenomenal. Um, well, that's every athlete's dream is to be, uh, first of all, to compete in an Olympic Games. And then, you know, if you feel like you've got a chance to medal, that's even better, you know, and to win, I felt like I win, win it. So I was really, really focused in 1980. And the preparation that got me thinking I could do that was when I went to college, I was a four-time NCAA finalist and I won it my last three years. And then my first year I, I lost on a, like a referee's decision in overtime. So it was really close. And I would have been the first four-time national champion had I done that in 1978. So then from there, and my senior year in college, that same year, I won the world championship. And I was 21, and I was the youngest American to ever win a world title then in 1978. And that record held for 38 years until Kyle Snyder broke it. And he was 19 when he did it in 2016. So, wow. Yeah. So, so anyway, uh, I won my first world title in 1978. So then, you know, I won it again in 79. So I was a two-time world champion going into the Olympics in 1980. So I was favored to win and training real hard. And I felt like I was going to win. And the games were going to be in Moscow, in Russia. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Carter was president and he made it. It was the Cold War with um, the communist bloc countries, with Russia being the dominant one. I don't know what he was really thinking, but he just threatened them and said, like, if they didn't pull out of Afghanistan, they had invaded this country, Afghanistan. And he said that if they didn't pull out of Afghanistan, America was going to boycott the Olympic Games in their country. So, of course, they didn't pull out. And Jimmy Carter's back was to the wall because he made this threat that became like really publicized. And so we didn't go, we didn't go. And he convinced, I don't know, 30 or so of our allied nations not to go either. 
So it was a screwed up Olympic Games in 80. And then in 84, the games were in Los Angeles. And guess who boycotted those games? You know. <laughs> so in 84, the games were in L.A. And it was a great Olympics. You know, Mary Lou Retton had an uh, awesome performance. And Carl Lewis and Greg Luganis and all those stars, Edwin Moses, and on and on and on. Without Russia, without any of the communist nations, which, uh, which which really screwed up a sport like wrestling because in a typical world championship where all the countries, the tough countries like the Eastern European countries, Russia being the, the dominant one, when those countries are present, America might win maybe, well, one gold medal, maybe two, and then maybe a couple other places. So maybe 10 weight classes, America might have three medalists out of the whole thing, maybe one champion and maybe, you know, a couple other place winners. Well, in in the Los Angeles, out of the 10 weight classes, we had 10 gold me- or eight gold medalists. We had eight guys win golds. And then we had a, a wrestler that was injured, so he probably would have won a gold. <laughs> and then we had a wrestler win a silver because we were competing against countries like Canada in the finals, you know, or Venezuela or, you know, <laughs> countries, countries that aren't really that dominant in wrestling. They were all gone. And I'm not taking anything away from the athletes that won their gold medals because I wish I was there and I wish I'd have won my gold medal too. But I didn't make that team, you know, four years after 80, I tried out again and I got beat by David Schultz and David Schultz and I were rivals starting in college my senior year in college i started wrestling david schultz and tragedy that occurred with john dupont and dave schultz and the fox catcher farm that was there on john dupont's estate but dave was a rival and i competed with him all starting in college and then i beat him to make the 80 olympic team and then he beat me to make the 84 team and then he won a gold medal in uh, los angeles So how big of a deal for you was not going to the Olympics in 1980s? I mean, it had to be a pretty huge ordeal and there had to be some like serious backlash just in terms of like the way that you were feeling and all the athletes that were involved. Oh, absolutely. I still haven't gotten over it. It's uh, And I, I work at getting over it. It's almost like the person is always bringing up the past about something they didn't get. Oh, I didn't do this or I knew that or uh, whatever. And I, I still <laughs> complain a little bit about it. I, I, I try to catch myself, but it's almost like a death, you know, it's almost like a death of a loved one, whether any loved one, whether it's a child a spouse, whatever, you can, you know, kind of deal with it, but you never really get over it. And so the Olympic Games was like a death. It was like a, it was a loss. It was a tragedy in my life that I'll never get over, or I shouldn't say that I, you have to get over things like that mm-hmm. and you never can totally forget about it. Every four years I get reminded of it when the Olympics come around again, just when I've kind of put it behind me, boom, we've got another Olympics coming up. <laughs> but what I will say though, I had the opportunity to be the Olympic coach. You know, I missed my opportunity in 1980, but in 2008, I got a chance to walk in the the Olympic Stadium, and uh, that was a really cool experience for me. So, I mean, that has to be just, it really does have to be an incredible experience to be able to walk in. I mean, granted, you didn't get to walk in as an athlete, but to go in and be the coach there, what's the difference for you between going in as a coach versus being the actual athlete? I like coaching because... In fact, I get more satisfaction on the coaching than I do than I did in my own career, um, helping someone achieve success. And 
I feel more excitement out of watching someone else's success than I did my own success. Actually, my own success was more of, of, you know, just feeling, you know, gratification that all my hard work paid off, but watching someone else win, I get excited. I'll start, you know, yelling and screaming and getting all excited and that kind of thing where I didn't do that in my own career. So I like that part of it. So I, I really, uh, I feel like that, that's something that, that I, I gain a great deal of satisfaction out of now. It's interesting. One of the things that when I um, had spoken to you the other day, and I really loved what you had said was, I mean, especially when you think about your own career, right? It was described best to me when somebody said, he is going to go down, Leroy Kemp is going to go down as the legend in wrestling. And it's interesting because one of the things that you had said was sometimes people have baggage. And when we think about baggage, we think about like all of the things that are bad or whatever else, but you actually referred to baggage as you actually included accomplishments in baggage because sometimes you just refer back to all the things that you have accomplished and it's still part of the baggage that you carry forward. Can you help elaborate on that? Yes, it's living in the past. It's living in the past. Um, we all have it, and accomplishments are, are part of it. And at some point, you have to, you, you should anyway, detach yourself from that baggage. It's almost, it's like material possessions. And I think I made the comment to you about, you know, some people are so attached to the money that they've been able to earn in their life that they get buried in their Mercedes or something, you know, like that's in their will. And people will actually carry that out for them. And while that person was alive, they thought that was so important that they wanted to go out that way. They wanted the world to see them going out that way. I think we're all too stuck on ourselves if that's what our mindset is. And I don't want to only be known for the medals that I have and and, and all that stuff. In fact, I'm, I mean, they're just, they're just sitting in boxes. My kids aren't even that interested in them. So, I mean, I, and I, not a big deal, really. I thought maybe it should be, but but they put in perspective for me, you know. I'm more excited about what's going on now. Like, did my son call me today, or did I call him today, or did I have a conversation with my kids today, or I, you know, whatever? Did I have a good coaching session today? Was I able to help someone today? And am I gonna, you know, what are my plans for tomorrow to help someone? And just keep it moving forward instead of looking back, because. Some people, that's all they have is maybe a medal or two that they won or a great accomplishment that they had 20, 30 years ago. So, and it, it's, it's even in marriage, you can have a great marriage, but it's a daily thing. You know, I mean, you can't tell your spouse or, hey, you know, we had a great, you know, we had a great day 20 years ago. <laughs> well, what about today? <laughs> today? <laughs> so that's the same way with in anything, you know, if, if I'm... You know, I, I used to think like everybody else, you want to work and then you want to retire and go lay on a beach or something like that. And I've talked to people that have done that. And you know what? They go back to work after they lay on a beach for two weeks. They realize, man, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And then they start selling their material things and getting rid of them because they realize this isn't making me happy anymore. They downsize. They, you know, actually, I know some people that are very wealthy. They take their kids out of their wills. Because they know that that's one of the best ways to ruin a young person is to give them all this money that they don't have to work for. Amen. You know, so um, it, it seems like a hard thing. And, and, and my kids have had to learn it just because I went through some tough times. And I would have probably given my kids things because I felt I had the means at the time. I was a car dealer. I would have. 
but because I fell on hard times, I didn't have it. You know, my daughter would call or whatever, call dad, can you lend me some money? No, I was going to call you for some money, honey. So (laughs) I don't have anything to give you. Can we, you know, whatever. I mean, dad, I got to pay my rent. I do too. I don't, can you help me out with a little bit? So now they've had, they become more resilient. They become more self-sufficient. I see them growing much faster because of the necessity. Cause you know, I, you know, we, we were all living together. They realized how tough it was. So they, they just quit asking after a while. They realized I better go figure this out myself and how to, how to, and I have to do it every day myself. So it's a daily thing, just being successful. I like to write motivational things. And I wrote a book called Winning Gold and 75 short motivational messages, which is also on my website. But, but, but it's, it's just little things to keep you focused on, on how to become in the moment and successful in the moment. And uh, one of the posts in that book is called, uh, Have You Paid Your Rent Today? And, uh, and it says, success is never owned, it's only rented. And the rent is due every day. So uh, Love that. if you don't pay your rent today, you're out. <laughs> you're out, you know. So, uh, doesn't matter what you did yesterday. The rent's due every day. And if you're not prepared to go to work tomorrow, you're not going to have the success. So, and life is that way. You've got to put that effort into everyday living. You have to put it into relationships. And, And then when I say that sometimes to a person that doesn't really get it, they think, oh, you know, a relationship shouldn't be work. Well, that's one way to look at it. But the fact is, is that you've got to put some thought and some effort. It doesn't have to feel like work, but... You can't simply do nothing and expect anything to flourish, whether it's a sport, a relationship, your job, your health. I'm really big on just being healthy and understanding what I'm putting in my body and how my body works. That's a daily thing, man. You can't just go off the rails for two weeks and expect you're going to have and feel the same as you did before you did that. And if that continues too long for 20 or 30 years, you're in really bad shape. You might have 50 more pounds than you need and a lot of health issues. So it's just, it's just every day is a challenge and a struggle, but that doesn't have to be negative terms. Uh, I learned to embrace challenges and struggles as being something positive. I like seeing people challenged and struggling and successful because of their hard work. That's simulating to me. To see someone successful, you're, you know, that, that's not really doing a whole lot for it. That's not anything I'm impressed with, really. It's really interesting because with everything that you've accomplished in the wrestling game, right, where, like, have you always been grounded? Do you feel like there was a part of you that allowed your ego to get, I mean, because every athlete does, right, to some degree, let their ego get the best of them and then everything always adjusts itself, right? So you get leveled out at some point and you start to come back to basics, hopefully at some point in your career or some point in your life where you start to realize that these things aren't as important. Where was that turning point for you? Well, it was um, early in my career when I first started wrestling. My, um, my sophomore year, I made the varsity. You know, my freshman year in high school, I didn't make the varsity. It was just the freshman team. But my sophomore year, I made the varsity, and uh, it was an early season tournament. And uh, I had a really close match against probably the number one seed in the tournament, even though I had just started wrestling. I did really well. And so I felt really confident. And I thought, well, I'm going to for sure get third. You know, no one else is going to beat me. So for third and fourth, I had a, a guy, you know, a guy that I knew I should have been able to beat. 
And I can remember walking by the table with the trophies before the final started. I remember looking at the third place trophy thinking, okay, that's mine. I'm, I'm going to have that. I'm going to beat this kid. And that kid beat me. And I, <laughs> and I was so, and I learned a lesson early that you can't take things for granted. You can't be overconfident. You can't be cocky. You have to be humble. And I wrestled that kid later on in the year and I beat him easily. So I'm thinking, how does that happen? It's just a mental thing. So I immediately, from that point on, realized that you have to take uh, everyone seriously. You have to be humble. And it just never got out of control after that. I just never, like even even when I won the state tournament, people would, you know, oh, you're a state champ, this and that, that thing. I would always downplay it. Like, okay, well, I felt fortunate to win and I got to go back to work, make sure I can do it next year, stay focused. And then I noticed it again in the, my uh, sophomore year in the national tournament. Uh, I took second the year before, so I thought, okay, I know I'm going to win this year. And I was rolling along, undefeated, even beat Dan Gable that year. I had beaten all the people that had beat me the year before. And in the quarterfinals of the national tournament, I was beating this guy. And I did a move that really wasn't illegal, but the referee incorrectly called it a legal slam. So I could have been disqualified. If the wrestler would not have been able to continue, I would have been disqualified. I would have lost that match by disqualification, and I wouldn't have been a national champion. And I thought, oh, my God, I wouldn't sat. I, you know, right when that happened, the referee blew the whistle, gave the other kid a point for the slam. And I saw the, the wrestler's coach motion to the wrestler, like, you've won. You beat Kemp, and he just told him, hey, just take – just just he, he did his hands like this, like, take take the – Take the take the slam, and now you're on to the next round. And I saw this coach, veteran coach. I wouldn't. I'm not going to mention his name. I saw him do that. I'm thinking, man, I, I just lost this match. And the assistant coach stepped up out of his chair, walked in front of the the veteran head coach, and walked over to the wrestler and said, "Get up, you're wrestling. You're not going to be Kemp that way. You're." Right. I don't know what he said, but he told him, "You're wrestling." I heard those words. <laughs> so then I, I did beat him, but I but but I just realized just how, how how close things could just not happen, and it may not be anything that you had control over. So that was humbling to me, and so um, that was another indicator to me that I had to be humble, you know. So and I, I can think of some other things too. I can remember one my senior year in college. I was going out to my third national title, and I was working out in a room. It was like a week and a half before the national tournament, and, and my teammate or the guy he was uh, he he wasn't varsity, but he was a workout partner. And I was getting frustrated with him because he was I don't know in my mind he wasn't wrestling hard enough, and so I started to be a real jerk to him, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, and then my knee popped while I was being stupid. I really, I just, I just hurt myself. I may not be able to wrestle the national tournament. I said, all these thoughts flooded through my mind. And, and so then I had to go into the national tournament with a sore knee because I was being stupid, you know? So, I mean, is it right when I, seems like whenever I decided to get like full of myself, I always got slapped back down on my, <laughs> and so right from then, I just, I, I realized, Hey man, you better just, Think and you know, and really be grateful instead of being arrogant, you know. And so, and so, my whole career was just characterized with this understated humility. And I, it's not like the wrestlers today when they win, they jump up and they throw their arms up and they yell real loud and they do all this stuff and they point at the other guy and they, and sometimes 
this gets me. Like if the crowd's not cheering for them long enough, they, they do these motions with their hands. Like, come on, give me more praise. You know, <laughs> come on, I want to hear more praise for me. Come on, do it more. You know, and you, you know what I mean, right? You see these yeah, athletes. Yeah, for sure. And I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's disgusting. I, I would never do that. I mean, now I wouldn't. Maybe if none of those things ever would have happened to me, maybe I would be like that. But, but I'm not, I'm just totally not like that. So with that being the case, like I love, there's so many things that have, that's come up. So one of the questions that I was supposed to ask you was, what was your mentality when you went and wrestled with Gables was one of the questions that I was asked. What was your mindset going into it? I learned an important mental quality from Gable. When I was a sophomore in high school, that summer I went to a camp. It was the summer of 1972. It was when Gable was there training and he was teaching the young, us young wrestlers. And then he, and then uh, like three or four weeks later, off he went to Munich and I watched him win his gold medal on TV. So, but while he was there, he talked about, uh, he seemed like a, a humble guy to me, first of all. And if you watch his Olympic finals match, which you can find when he won, there was no emotion. He didn't throw his arms up. He didn't jump around. And that burned an impression in my mind that, I wanted to be like him. That's how a champion acts when he wins. His total respect of your opponent. To me, it seems disrespectful. If somebody beats me and then they're jumping around and pointing all, all over and they're, they're, they're yelling like, yeah. I was like, wow. I, I don't know. I, Gable didn't do that. And so he was the guy that we all looked toward, at least in my era anyway. And so when I saw that, I right away, I knew that's just how I was going to act when I won. And, and and when I won my first state title, that was the same reaction through my whole career. That's kind of how it was through through my whole career. That's just, but so, and he said to all of us wrestlers that anyone could be beaten because back then no American was beating the Russians. So he was beating the Russian zone. He said that they, I remember his words. He said, they put their single on the same way I do. There's no reason why I should feel like I'm going to lose to a Russian just because they're a Russian. So I just picked up that same mentality. I just realized that anyone could be beaten. That's what Gable said. He told us anyone could be beaten. The little, the thing he didn't know was, is that I believed him. So four years later, when I actually had to wrestle him, I just said, well, anyone could be beaten. Even you, Dan. I mean, and the same with me. Like when I didn't make the Olympic team in 1984, I mean, if anybody was going to be an Olympic champion, it was going to be me. I'd beaten, I wrestled Dave Schultz 14 times. I beat him 10, 10 of those times. And the first nine times in a row over a five-year period without losing to him. And then I, lo- I lost one match on criteria, and then I beat him again. And then he beat me the next three times during the Olympic year to make the Olympic team. I mean, I've experienced great success. I know that anyone can be beaten. I beat Gable. I've been beat. So it's just a fact. I mean, I'm very clear on that. There's nobody that's invincible. So, And you just go back and train a little bit harder and make sure that you keep your head straight about yourself and do what you do, right? Yeah, you just, you, you know, you do what you can do and you want to make sure that you're not limiting yourself. But any sport where there's got to be a winner and a loser, I mean, I mean, you know, the odds, like in wrestling, where there's one weight class and one representative from each country, when you think about the exclusivity of a world champion, that's like only one. Individual sports, like even in track and field, you can enter more than one country in the same event. You know, we've had Americans place first, second, third in certain events, right? So you can still 
be third in the world and you get two other Americans, your teammates might be better than you, but you can still compete and achieve success. Well, wrestling is very different from all those because there's only one. It's just a different mentality. So because of that, you can't be so distraught if you lose that you're going to jump off a building or something. I mean, that's stupid. But you just try as hard as you can. And then that's the whole essence and beauty of wrestling is I want to see how good I am. And if I come up short against you, then that's just life. That's just the way it is. And you have to be proud of that second place or third place or fourth or fifth or sixth or whatever. That's just the way it is. I mean, we know that going in. So you're now a wrestling coach. When you work with them and knowing your mentality and knowing you're understated, the ability to be as humble as you are, how are you able to get that across to your athletes? Because... I mean, I definitely know some of your athletes and I'm just like, wow, you know how, when you have so many people that are so arrogant and it's such a flamboyant sport, right? From MMA wrestlers and um, fighters, like how do you, how do you preach that? How do you get them to really take notice that that's important? You know, the, the humility part, I don't really talk a lot about with them. But what I do talk to them about a lot about is just having inner confidence. And the inner confidence is something that I had a lot of. I just didn't let it come outwardly, you know, to where it became more of a show. But I think you have to have a certain confidence and arrogance. But my way of displaying it was always understated. Some athletes have it a little more overstated. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a fine line because sometimes to win, you have to be, I mean, you have to be arrogant, unfortunately. If you want to be the number one in the world, that's that's arrogant. I mean, that's just no other way around it. You're, you're being arrogant. You're, set, you're telling the world that I'm better than you. I'm better than anyone else in the building, anyone in the world. That, that's a sense of arrogance. And we teach our children that that's not healthy to think you're better than someone. But in the world of sports... I don't know. It's just hard. It's hard to put it in words because if I'm going out and I'm trying to beat you and I'm trying to do it consistently, then I am, you know, I can't feel sorry for you. Like I beat Dave Schultz, you know, 10 times. I didn't feel sorry for him. (laughs) I just wanted to win each time. So, uh, but how I choose to display that is a totally different ballgame. You know, I could pound my chest. I can talk crazy to the media. I can do all this other stupid stuff. I'm glad you're asking that because. My son is picks up on my personality and he watches the videos and he, he fought, you know, he's wrestling and he's that way. And though now, because I'm, I'm around a lot of athletes with a lot of bravado, you know, especially a lot of young kids, I'm thinking my son should be that way too. See, even though I think it's the right way to be humble, even though I think that I just wasn't going to force that on him because mm-hmm. it looks like people are having a lot of fun when they're doing backflips and pointing at the crowd and all that stuff. I'm thinking that's <laughs> okay. With that, I guess. So I'm thinking maybe my son's going to be that way too, but he wasn't. Mm-hmm. He's very humble that way. Very humble. He, he's so low key that if he's in a position and the guy is getting hurt a little bit, he'll stop. And I was, yeah. I'm like, Adam, why'd you stop? You're hurting him. Well, the guy was hurt. I said, you're supposed to hurt him. You know? <laughs> you know? I mean, you're not punching him. You, you have him in a tight hole that hurts a little bit. That's fine. Crush him, you know? <laughs> so he was, he's not that way at all. Yeah. Which, oh, he's, he's more cerebral than I am. He's, he's a writer. Okay. He wrestled only because I wanted him to. And I think he's happy that he's wrestling. Now he earned a scholarship and all that, but 
But I know that the humility is the right way to be. I just know that because I, I watch too many athletes that aren't. Yeah. And think don't, I mean, it's just things go off the rails. I don't know. It's just, it's just not a good way to be really. And to win, I have to be, I have to have inner confidence, inner arrogance. When I look you in the eye and you're going to compete against me, I have to believe I'm going to beat you. So right. there's no two ways around it. It's arrogant. And I, and I admit that. And I tell people that that want to, you know, no matter what competitive arena, whether it's business, whether it's sports, I said, I, I have to believe my product's better than yours. It's an arrogance there. I got to believe that I'm better than you. Wow. Just think of those words when you tell someone I'm, I'm better than you. That's, that's an arrogant feeling to have. And then to go out and prove it time and time again, it is hard to stay humble when you're doing that on a regular basis. You start to believe the press clippings. Hey, you know, you know maybe no one could beat me, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, so you need to have a dose of reality. And I think maybe God, I'm a spiritual person. I think God kind of brought that in my life at various times to make me realize, hey, Lee, it's not about you, really. You know, it really isn't about you because it could very easily not be about you. One of these little things happens and you pop your knee and you can't wrestle or this referee calls a bad call, you're out. You know, bad calls happen all the time, you know? Right. And so I, I, I realized, man, I would go from being a four-time all-American three-time champion and maybe being a one-time champion now and maybe not ever won in the world championship because I had some close matches in there and calls went my way or whatever. And so when I reflect back, I feel very grateful and humble that I had the opportunity to, uh, to experience it all. So with that being said, you actually created a documentary about your life in wrestling, right? Yeah, well, it was it was some. No, that's an arrogant thing to have a movie about yourself, <laughs> especially if you create it for yourself. But I didn't. I had a friend who thought I was sort of like an unsung hero kind of a thing, or maybe and because of my age and there's all these young superstars in wrestling now that get the attention as they should, as they deserve to. They're multiple time world champions as well, have won more world titles than I did, and all that, but. But this friend felt that my story needed to be told, needed to be something that the world and the wrestling world needed to know about. So this person funded it to start with and, and convinced me to do it. I was not sure I wanted to do it, to have a documentary about my life, which because that to me seems very difficult for me to wrap my brain around, actually. And um, and with all documentaries, you know, you take the good with the bad. There's bad things that happen to me as well. And so the director, once I agreed to do it, and the director said, Lee, you know, now we know about your career, all this good stuff, the boycott. OK, that's bad. But what else happened in your life that was bad? I'm like, like, why do you want to know that? He said, well, this is a documentary. We, we want we want your whole life. We want to know what your life was all about, the good and the bad and the ugly. So I. I resisted for a long time. And then the director found out something that, you know, one of the bad things that was happening to me and stuff. And he said, man, Lee, we got to talk about that. I said, no way, man. I don't want to do that. He said, no, we have to. We have to. It's a documentary. So anyway, so it started that way about, oh, right around 2010-ish, I guess. And then what started to be a small project, it was a labor of love. Most documentaries are the money ran out, you know, so it just sat from about 2012 until now to about to about a year ago. There was a lot of footage that was already shot. There was some work that had been done, but then it was like 
30% done. It was all not even that. It was like 20% done. And so because all this work had been done, all this archival footage had been shot, and I started to promote it and pitch it. And so when I, I had an opportunity to meet a, a person that was generous in their great success, financial success in their life, and they were supporting wrestling things, different wrestling things, I, I, um, I approached this guy and I asked him if he would be willing to, uh, to financially finish my documentary. And he knew of me from Cleveland, from Ohio. He's from Ohio. And he did. So he said, I'd do it. So, so he, he's, he put a bunch of money. I didn't realize the kind of money that I had to be put into this thing to finish it. It's crazy. When you go to my, my webpage, you'll see kind of a little 10 second teaser, but it'll explain a little bit and it'll give the names of the people who are involved now. Um, but it's going to be a cool thing. It's going to be a cool thing. My kids are involved, circle back around and did some, some footage just even six months ago. So I have my kids now that they're older, like around 2010, they were much younger. So now they've, 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 they've gotten much older now and they're in it and they're talking about the separation I went through, you know, and all the, all the different things that I lost my kids for about five years, which is, so it's, um, I'm 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 happy that it's there because it does create a sense of uh, of a legacy for me and the things that I did accomplish, which in the sport of wrestling, which I think are a little unique and unusual. A lot of the wrestling uh, community that they don't even know about anymore, especially the younger wrestlers. You know, I'm 62 now. They don't. They weren't even born back when I was. <laughs> They're not, they're not, they don't care about me, but they're going to see this and go, wow, I didn't know Lee Kemp did all this and that. And I didn't realize that happened to him. So from the standpoint of legacy and just creating something that will be around for a while, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it's, that it's done. It's, it's in post-production now and it's finished. I've seen a couple rough cuts of it. I'm, I'm pleased with it. Oh, that's great. I can't wait to watch it. When should we be expecting that to come out? The, one of the production companies that, that actually, uh, listed on their website as one of their projects now, 2019 summer. And we'll probably might do something uh, in about a couple weeks at the national tournament in Pittsburgh, possibly, I'm not sure, um, because that that's a wrestling audience and that would be a great opportunity to expose it to the wrestling community. But I'm not sure if, if we're going to be able to do it then or not. But mm. To tie everything up, one of the things that I always ask my guests is if there's something that you'd want people to do that would help change the world, help impact the world, what would that be? To take the focus off of themselves and try to help other people. I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to uh, say you're sorry for the way things have rolled out for someone and to say you'll pray for them and whatever, maybe throw a little money at it or whatever, but, but to really emotionally get involved, physically get involved, maybe even use your money if you have, and just to help people. There are so many people hurting uh, it's ridiculous that people are, are actually homeless in the United States. It's crazy to think that a person has no place to live. And when I was going through my tough times, I was, you know, staying with, uh, sleeping on someone's couch. And here I was, I had three kids that I was estranged from. And, and I, you know, I used to own a car dealership. I had money, but then it all, it all went away. And that was probably one of the ultimate things that humbled me for sure. And I didn't know that I needed to be humble at the time, but maybe, maybe I did. I don't know. But it just brought, it just made life, it put it into a totally different perspective. And I've slept in my car and all, you know, so all that stuff. I know how it must be to be 
to where now you don't have any place to stay. You've worn out your welcome with your friends. Like I could sense that that day was coming with me too. You know, I better get this together. Like, you know, you can't just keep staying over this friend's house. You know, you got to figure this out pretty soon when they tell you you got to leave, then where do you go? And when you hit all your friends and family and then, and then I, these people must've gone through this slide to where now they're out there in the street. And so, and I thought to myself, man, Lee, you're not that far from that. So I understand it. I didn't have to do it, thank God, but I understand it. And I realize how difficult that is, how difficult it must be. So anything that involves helping humanity, I am going to focus some of my time in my latter years of my life trying to do. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us. Oh, you're welcome. Super honest, super vulnerable. The Lee Kemp, I am so grateful to have you on the show today. And I will definitely post a place for people to be able to find you both on Instagram. Are you on Facebook? Yes. Yes. So on Instagram, on Facebook, give Lee a follow and I will definitely post up your website so that we can all find your documentary. I look forward to seeing that this summer. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. For someone so accomplished, I love how grounded he is. From the moment we spoke, I knew that we were aligned. If you want to connect with Lee, you can check out his website at leekemp.com. You'll find the link to his up-and-coming documentary and his book on his site. When I think of Lee, I think of true humility. It is a virtue that puts others first in thought, word, and deed. It's resisting the temptation to self-aggrandize. One of the reasons why Lee is a beautiful human being is because in a sport like wrestling, it's easy to get caught up in the limelight. It's easy to walk around and say, I'm the greatest ever and be completely arrogant, but he doesn't. He's humble, he's modest, and it allows him to learn more. You can see and hear how Lee carries himself as an athlete, and it definitely carries to other areas of his life. If you found this episode to be helpful, please help this new girl out. Subscribe to Trauma to Triumph in iTunes and leave me a review. If you want to connect even further, come to my site, which is kimbao.co, K-I-M-B-A-O.co.com, and drop me a question or let me know what resonated. There's always room to improve and would love to hear the feedback you have for me and to be able to connect. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate your insight, your willingness to hear another perspective, to add to your arsenal of amazing tools you already have. Enjoy right now, and we'll see you at the next episode. Much love. Thank you.